My name is Martin, I'm the co-founder of Ciara and at Ciara we have developed the Conversation Assistant as a complete new category of uh, enterprise software that basically helps salespeople particularly have better conversations. That means we guide them, we understand their context and help capture information from it but also deliver information into it and automate workflows. This episode is brought to you by WHU, the Otto Beisheim School of Management. WHU is reshaping the way students learn about business, management, finance, and entrepreneurship through its innovative programs and partnerships in Germany and across the globe. To learn more about this globally ranked university, visit whu.edu today. Hey folks, Garrett here. In this episode recorded in January of this year, we introduce Dr. Martin Heibel, Vehau alum, serial entrepreneur, ecosystem builder, and currently co-founder and managing director of Ciara, a virtual assistant for sales reps and inside sales teams. We're discussing Martin's journey from Vehau to LMU, building the LMU Entrepreneurship Center and Expreneurs, and founding two successful companies, Intraworlds and Ciara. Martin's story is an interesting one, in which he built his most recent company to solve a problem he and his teams faced every day. So for you listeners out there who are interested in sales, B2B software solutions, or just a wicked smart and highly analytical founder, this episode is for you. Hope you enjoy it. Coming to you from WHU, on the banks of the Rhine River, in beautiful Fallendar, Germany, this is the best and most awesome founder podcast. A show about entrepreneurs, innovators, advisors, and educators, and the stories that make them who they are today. So, Martin Heibel from Ciara, thank you so much for having me here in your offices in München. It's wonderful to be back in this city after being a founder here, gosh, 10 years ago now, uh, to see all the amazing entrepreneurial energy and to meet another founder doing some amazing stuff. Yeah, thanks uh, for having me and thanks for coming in. Awesome. Um, I'd like to start this episode like I do with all of the others, which is learning a little bit about your story. I think one of the things uh, that kind of differentiates the different founders we have on this podcast is they all come from different places and they all end up on this wild and crazy entrepreneurial journey. Maybe you can start just kind of telling us how did you become an entrepreneur how did you get to where you are today? Yeah, sure. Um, so what we share is uh, the Vail connection. Um, and it actually begins even before I started my, uh, my studies. Um, as, a, as a student at school already, I was thinking about how could you build your own business, right? That's, those were the times of a pre-dot-com bubble, um, Neuer Markt, new market in Germany, like the, the first... Uh, uh, stock market craze um, <clears throat> where you know, even people my age at the time were trading stock uh, instead of going to school, you know, those were the times. Um, when the internet was basically invented, it was pre-e-commerce. Um, so this is where, when I really caught fire on being an entrepreneur. And that was, um, that was really my motivation to go to, uh, to VAU. I remember I, I met Peter Witt, who at the time was the entrepreneurship professor at VAU, and um, I asked him, what, what would be your recommendation? When should I start my first business? Should I first go work somewhere? 
why should I start my first business? And, and he actually said, you should probably get some experience and then do it, which was totally not what I was expecting or what I wanted to have as, an, as, an, as, a, um, as, as a reply. So what actually happened, um, while at VAU, together with three of my fellow students, um, we started what still exists as my VAU, the uh -huh. uh, intranet of uh, the university. It used to be a student project, but it turned into a company around half of our studies, so in the fourth semester. Um, and it later became IntraWorlds, which today is a very nice company um, that we still own the majority of the four of us. And um, actually, that was my first big for, uh, um, uh, entrepreneurial experience. So it's a software company. Um, sometimes I say, um, and I, I said it yesterday when I met an investor, we started at the same time as Facebook pretty much with the same kind of technology. We just took a slightly different path. <laughs> um, and it's, uh, it's actually true because it started as um, the, the platform for, for, for students where you know, everyone could, uh, could manage their studies, where they could uh, have their profiles. Our killer feature actually was this way you could book your lunch, otherwise you wouldn't get lunch, so everyone had to, had to be on it. Um, so this is where it started, and um, I, um, I still, which is actually interesting, um, when I finished uh, VAU, I, I did something maybe totally not to be expected. I went to the LMU here in Munich and did a doctorate in entrepreneurship. People still ask me, how can you be so theoretical about entrepreneurship? And <laughs> my, my answer would usually be, um, I, I just like it. You know, mm -hmm. it's, it's, a, it's, it's interesting to study uh, entrepreneurs. It's interesting to study investors. They are all um, said to be very rational, and most of them are not. Um, mm -hmm. So it's, it's, an, it's a very interesting thing. Um, and I, I, I particularly um, di um, I, I worked around the question, um, how and why do founders leave their um, uh, their C-level roles uh, when they have uh, investors on board, mm -hmm. uh, which is a very interesting yeah. phenomenon. Phenomen phenomenon. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, from there um, we grew IntraWorlds, um, and at some point I I felt like I wanted to do something new. It was just um, a feeling that grew inside me. Mm -hmm. um, so I decided to leave IntraWorlds. Uh, in 2016, that was after running it for nine years, um, basically as the head of sales. <clears throat> so I was mostly responsible for growing the top line of the business. Um, and what I did is I went to the technical university here in Munich, so the other university, uh, where they have a lot of great tech, entrepreneurial tech talent. Um, I started a, um, a, a, an incubation program there. Um, why? Because from my initial um, experience at LMU, I realized that besides all the um, amazing um, academic questions you can work on, what is the, the, the big potential that's really untapped is all the talent that is coming out of there. And becoming an entrepreneur, being a career choice yeah. today, um, is, is just a big opportunity for someone like me who likes to work around academia and likes to work around students and with students. So I, I started this, uh, this uh, um, program, it's called Expreneurs, it's, it's mm -hmm. located with the Unternehmertum Entrepreneurship Center at the Technical University. Mm -hmm. But um, obviously, and that was very clear to me, I would do this 
to kind of figure out what to do next. Mm -hmm. um, and now this is where uh, I, I met my co-founder Constantine in 2017 and we thought about what to, what to do and what to build in 2018 and then started Sierra um, last year. Cool. Interesting. Long story. Oh, it's Very entrepreneurial. It is. It is. Your story reminds me a lot of me in, in many ways. Why the hell did you do a PhD? I get that mm. question asked all the yeah. time. Yeah. I just and as um, I get that question too, but I think what I would always say is I just because I liked it, mm -hmm. and it's very much the same with my entrepreneurial endeavors. Just because yeah. I that's what I want to do. Indeed, indeed. So maybe you can dig a little deeper. You know, you, you took an interesting path that I can very much relate to. You know, you went academia, you built an incubator, you know, really got deeper into, I think one of the great things about building an incubator type program is you really start learning the mechanics of building a business, not just your own, but when you get to see it across many other, other ventures along the way. So kind of getting into the the practical side of, of building businesses that aren't your own. There's a, there's a lot of learning there, but I'm really interested in how you got from um, that stage and deciding to do Ciara. Now, I think you mentioned that you were focused on the sales side um, of your previous business, and now yeah. you're you're building a business that is helping to streamline that as well, if I understand correctly. Can you yeah, share sure. that kind of bridge? And yes, absolutely. It's a very interesting, <clears throat> it, for me, it was a very interesting phase. So when I, when I went out and when I left IntroBuzz, I, I basically said I want to do something different than what I had done before. That was just one thing. So, um, and with the, this, this universe of, of deep tech and tech ideas and talent and basically dozens and hundreds of, hundreds of people with brilliant minds and ideas, um, you know, in all the verticals that these programs have, like what, what happens in our cities, what happens around artificial intelligence, what happens around medicine, what is, how will CRISPR change the way we kind of replicate the human race, you know, it's, there is, it's, you can basically, you could do it all. Right. And that was my initial, it was my starting point. Like I, I, do, I, I looked into all this stuff and found it all very interesting. Um, but for me, what was, and that's the bridge, <clears throat> what was really um, clear at some point, if, if you have this inner drive to start your new company, which I clearly had, um, you come back to what you can do and what you're good at and what you're knowledgeable about and where you know you have an unfair advantage to be successful. Mm -hmm. And I'm not a CRISPR medical guy <laughs> and I'm not an IoT guy, though maybe I would like to be and, and I wouldn't say I'll never be, but it's not very obvious, mm -hmm. right? So um, when, I, when I, I thought about what can I do, I kind of gravitated around the ideas that I really understood. Mm -hmm. um, and in the end, I realized what I need is, I need this idea, but um, other than many people think the idea per se is really not what makes it, um, I needed a co-founder, a technical co-founder, mm -hmm. um, given that I wanted to build a tech company. Um, this person would need to be available. Mm -hmm. It would need to be someone I can get along with well. Um, would uh, you know have to be uh, in in Munich? So there's a lot of um, pieces of the puzzle that need to work together. 
And um, I, I just realized if, if I'm the one to drive this and if, if I want to work, work, want to make this happen, mm -hmm. um, let me let's let me work around a problem that I really understand. Mm -hmm. So you come back to problems that you really understand. Um, and this is actually the initial idea of, of Sierra was born from two perspectives. One was the, all this AI craziness, like artificial intelligence will take all our jobs and will basically <laughs> change the world. Um, but when I looked and worked with many um, like software engineers, they were looking at it obviously very technically. Mm -hmm. um, and then on the other side, I had the, a very good understanding of the sales problem, and, and actually it's an organizational problem. If you want to um, grow teams, if you want to make them effective in terms of what they communicate, if you want to automate their workflows, if you um, want to make sure that a specific piece of content is available uh, when it is needed, that it goes back into the systems that are very clunky today where people lose lots of their time on actually managing these tools. Um, this was a very tangible problem. Mm -hmm. And then what I just realized is that all this AI is nothing that just, it, it doesn't like jump out of the box and solves all these problems, but it's rather um, an incremental improvement. Mm -hmm. So I, I kind of um, had to com or combine those two pictures Mm -hmm. With my statistical background, also you know, I had this this uh, PhD thesis I did was very much around statistical models. So I had a good idea of how AI will not work, right? right? right. And where the limitations are to be expected. Mm -hmm. So I, I'd rather uh, I, I'd rather look into what is the actual tangible problem mm -hmm. when onboarding and scaling and, te and teaching sales teams, and um, how can technology help us do that? And this is where the idea was born to have a sales assistant um, that is voice enabled, um, where, where I would rather see voice as a, um, as a signal or voice as a search input, and I can uh, talk around this a little more uh, later on. Um, and obviously, when I ended up with that, and also when I discussed this with Constantine, who has a strong CRM background, so software background, mm -hmm. um, I was in the midst of my 10 years of sales and software experience. Mm -hmm. Before we get it, I want to hear a little more about the business itself, but you know, there's a couple different ways people go about the ideation process. And I, and I think I heard a little bit of both with you and I'm interested to see maybe where you put yourself on that spectrum. One approach is you've identified a really clear problem and you're just going to figure out how to solve that problem. The other approach, maybe the more effectuation approach, is let's look at the assets that I have and let's figure out how the synergies of our assets as a team, maybe you and your co-founder, what your skill sets are, what your knowledge is, and then we're going to target, we're going to use that to frame the problem. Were you more focused on here is a specific problem in sales that I want to solve, or did you guys kind of come together and say, here's what we know and what we do, let's figure out where we're best suited to target? Yeah, it was more, more of the latter. Mm -hmm. um, so it was, it, it was not the very specific problem from the outset, it was more a, a space that we understood well and where we could combine our experience well. Um, 
but it, it also was not a super broad space where we, we kind of let's, let's finish um, poverty in the world, right. kind of, you know, it's not, a, not, not so mission driven. Mm -hmm. uh, when I talked to a, to a former um, fellow student of mine, I said, um, when, I, when I look at these models, what the question I would ask is show me the money. Mm -hmm. right? which, is, which, which may sound like non-visionary and, and, and not very, you know. Um, but it's, important. It's not, so, it's not so much saving the world, um, but it's, uh, it's very tangible, it's very um, business, mm -hmm. I guess. So I was, I was always looking at building a sustainable business model of finding a business model. So you have a co-founder who's technical, who had a background in CRM, and then you, who had a background in founding a previous company and in sales. How did you guys, tell me how you kind of got to this specific niche, and how did you get, how was Ciara born out of that, uh, that relationship and that process? Yeah. So. Um, I think the, the, the general idea that I brought in was this combination of AI and sales where I said there should be a new kind of software that makes all this stuff much more data driven and supports people's workflows. Mm -hmm. That was the, the general idea. Very much business driven, not technical mm -hmm. per se. And then Constantine with his CRM background, so he had built a company on top of the Salesforce tech stack, mm -hmm. um, built a lot of integrations. He's very strong at building integrations between different tools. <clears throat> um, he, he, he talked about an old idea he had, uh, which was kind of an, a, um, a personal CRM. Mm -hmm. um, and we, we, we looked at what is the CRM world doing and, and where is it evolving and what, is, what are the problems there. And one of the key problems is that uh, CRMs are basically built to manage teams and information. So people have CRMs to build reports, mm -hmm. but, every, but to get a report, people have to put in data and manage data and no one does it and everyone hates it because it's mm -hmm. um, just, it's not in your workflow, it's a pain in the neck, it takes away your time. It's, not productive yeah. and all that. So, um, and, and from those two perspectives, we, we basically came to the point that there's no point in building a new CRM, obviously. Mm -hmm. uh, there's just too many out there. Um, the category is basically defined by Salesforce. Um, and whenever you, uh, we also tested that actually. We, we talked to people and whenever we said CRM, they said, don't say CRM, <laughs> right? And it made so much sense. Um, and, and, and we, we just developed that idea that if you have a, a vertical uh, CRM tool for a specific um, functions, be it sales, today, 
what will the, the, the kind of horizontal tool be that is in your face from the first minute you walk into the office to the last minute you go out at night mm -hmm. that kind of understands your workflow and pulls stuff from these systems up and pushes them down so you don't have to do it manually, but it just understands your context through voice, through what you talk, through what you type, mm -hmm. through what you do. And then we said, okay, this is not a CRM problem only. It's, it's also valid for anything in HR. Mm -hmm. It's also valid for anything in support, uh, for anything in finance. So everywhere where you have a conversational role, and all, all of a sudden we realized this is, it's actually, it's a market as big as the CRM market. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, it's now, because now we have these AI models, we have these voice models, we have um, you know, we have people ready to, to work with assistants. If, if you sit in your car, of course you run assistant by your side. Mm -hmm. If you talk to your phone, if you, if you talk to Alexa, you're ready to, you, you expect an assistant by you. So it's actually, it's actually strange that there is no assistant to you while you talk on the phone, isn't it? Right, right, yeah. So this is how we came up with that broad idea. Cool. This new idea. So can you kind of walk me through a little bit the, the user experience? Like kind of give me an example. I'd like to hear how someone that is using Ciara kind of integrates that into their workflow so I can, we can learn a little bit about the product itself. Yeah, sure. Um, so um, let me first comment on that very generically. So even for people that are not in sales will understand. Um, the, the, the general idea is to have a, a software in front of your eyes while you talk on the phone typically, while you're in a conversation. So it's a real-time support that um, will remind you through what we call a playbook mm -hmm. um, on stuff you want to cover. Right? How many times have you hung up the phone and then realized, damn, I didn't ask this this or that question, mm -hmm. and it, it's it's not a problem if you talk to your friend. You just give them another call. Mm -hmm. But if it's a if it's a sales call where you you didn't ask for who's actually taking the decision or what's the actual problem you have or what's the actual competition we'll look at or what have you what what you know um, uh, what next step should we take? This is a problem because it costs money in the end, right? And, and this is how, um, how we remind people to not hang up before having covered all that. Mm -hmm. That's one thing. The second thing is um, what we call objection handling. So you would, you would usually get certain pushbacks. Mm -hmm. And um, there is a good and a not so good way of reacting to such pushbacks. And we help people to, at the moment, when needed, to get a good input on what, what a good answer would be. So, mm -hmm the price is too high, or um, I don't have time now, or mm -hmm. we have a solution in place already. So it's when, 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 when people have these objections, what do you say? Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's very easy, actually, because all this information is available. And this is a very important point here. No AI magic. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, these playbooks, they, people have it sit on their drives. It's, in a Google Doc, they, they actually teach their salespeople, they read through it, sometimes they have it sit on their desk, but it's not available in the very moment when they need it. I just got a 19 pages uh, objection handling document from a customer like this. How can anyone 
use this <laughs> right. while on the call. But if you melt, if you boil this down and make it actionable and 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 kind of detect the context from the conversation, mm -hmm. you will know that right now you need this objection to be handled, you need this question to be asked, and all of a sudden this, this assistant is super helpful and helps you navigate the call. Mm -hmm. So that's what the product cool. does. I, I could actually see that being implemented in so many different areas and not just sales. It could be customer service, it could be any type of really human interaction, right, in the business exactly. world. Yeah. That's why we're referring to it as a conversation assistant mm -hmm. and sales as our beachhead market, mm -hmm. where um, it is it probably just for our own background, this mm -hmm. is where we start, right? If we had been in customer success, we, we would have started there. Mm -hmm. It's very likely. Um, but it is a real horizontal play. Yeah. It, is, it, it is a new category of software, and we really think that in five or ten years from now, people in an office will have a complete different way of interacting with their tools mm -hmm. through an assistant. Right. Okay. Cool. Right. So it's a... Uh, you're really a B2B software as a service then. Is this like a white label? Because I imagine there's a significant integration that has to be done with each of your, each of your clients. Eh? Do you have to kind of set up the system for a specific client based on their kinds of workflows, the types of things that they need to ask? Or is it something that the client itself sets up or programs on their own? Yeah. Um, you would be amazed how standardized this is. Hmm. Uh, so, um, we we provide sign up through our website, so you can go on the uh, getsiara.com website and hit the sign up button and do a sign up. It's actually free. You can try it for a full month, fully fledged. Uh, just do a sign up, give it a try. Mm -hmm. um, and what you get is a library of playbooks. So we have global partners that provide playbooks, pretty much for any kind of business, any industry. Cool. You know, it's all these sales trainers mm -hmm. that in the past they wrote books and they still do. They write books, they, they do their seminars and all of a sudden we give them an, an opportunity to produce their digital self mm -hmm. for people. So you don't have to think about your playbook, you just need to describe who you are and we will give you a playbook. Mm -hmm. Of course you can manipulate that um, or you take your Google Doc and, and import that but it's really easy to get started and on the, more on the that's more on the content side. Mm -hmm. on, the, on the technical side the, today's tools are all ready for integration. Look at Slack. I mean, mm -hmm. um, you can integrate anything into Slack. You can right. integrate anything into Salesforce. Mm -hmm. um, and we build on all these integrations in OpenAPI. So it's, it's, a, it's a click of a button and the Sierra assistant is connected to your CRM. And it, it, you have a button there. You start it from your CRM. And everything you do inside the Sierra assistant is being pushed back into your CRM. Mm -hmm. No more touching the CRM, right? This is what we want. Right. This is how it feels. Wow. Yeah, I mean, you think of the amount of time that a salesperson spends just inputting data, you know, and how much, how much time is lost out of that process. Up to half that time. Yeah, wow. Today. That's amazing. Which is unbelievable. So you're solving a real business challenge, which makes a lot of sense that, you know, you helped identify that and build the company. I'm curious, this is a very typical Vehau question that I like to ask, <laughs> but could you have done that without a technical co-founder? Like, how valuable was it to have someone with that technical experience and that CRM background in helping you guys put this concept together? Because it sounds like it has some pretty heavy technical chops behind it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
no way I could do this without a technical co-founder. Very clear. So where where is Ciara now? Where what's your where are you guys at? What's your kind of trajectory? Maybe talk a little bit about the present and the future of your company. Yeah. So um, so the company was started and uh, was founded on the second of January uh, two thousand nineteen. So it's pretty much a year now. Mm -hmm. uh, we launched the product in early May. So we've been live for nine months now. Um, during that time, we, um, we have over 1,200 subscribers, so people have come to the website and have created their accounts and are using uh, the assistant in their, in their daily conversations. Um, so there is massive interest. Um, we were super happy with, uh, with the initial attraction and right now we obviously we have a long list of stuff we want to build so on the technical side we have a uh, there's a lot of things we want to do improve the product um, um, increase the uh, the number of integrations um, but looking into the future this is totally this is the bridge into the future because we don't want to build a tool, we want to build a platform. This sounds like a VAO tool, so <laughs> um, but what does that mean? <clears throat> what does that mean? It means that if, if we are the assistant, where the software that is in, inside pe in, in people's face, faces while, while they work, mm -hmm. but we can't build all the stuff ourselves. Mm -hmm. So we basically want to allow every tool out there, either they do it on their own or third parties do it, connect to our assistant. So if you run another CRM, if you run an applicant tracking tool, if you run a customer success tool, what have you, um, you can build your CRM your CRM integration and pull your data into our assistant when it is needed in the conversation. Right. So that's, that's the technical part of it. And the, the, it, it totally relates to the content side of it. Um, so we, we're building out a um, a content library, or we call it a skill store, where these uh, partners can come in and, as I said, they create their digital selves. So um, there's people and tools coming to the Sierra platform um, and, and making their uh, data and content available in any given conversation, um, basically across all companies and all functions. That's, that's the long-term vision. Cool. Cool. You know, being here in your office, seeing you've got a nice little team that looks like it's growing, and uh, 
being that Vehau has, what I've noticed at least, is Vehau's, many of the founders are very Berlin-centric. And I, there'll be an episode coming up with uh, Stefan Schubert, we talk about this at length, but um, you're the first Vehau alum founder that uh, has been on this podcast from München. Can you tell me a little bit about your experience being a founder here? Are there, do you find that the ecosystem is similar? Is it easy to find talent? Um, are there, do you notice any advantages or disadvantages of, of being in this wonderful city as opposed to the magnet that has, Berlin has become? Um, so, I mean, looking looking at Munich as a as an ecosystem today, it is um, clear to me that there is a lot of deep tech and tech stuff and B two B stuff going on here. While you know, going back to this, uh, when I was a student, when I was in school, Munich used to be the hotspot for media mm -hmm. when Berlin didn't even exist. That was way back, right? So that, that was even before my time in business. <clears throat> then I think Berlin took all the business and all the uh, yeah, uh, all the opportunities uh, for the first wave of uh, also of, of, of startups in yeah. Germany, um, driven through the uh, the summers mostly. Um, so a very clear benefit if you were an e-com player ten years back, you had to be there, and it was the only ecosystem. Today, if you are a tech company, I would probably recommend you rather be in Munich just because, again, that's my background, but having been around the technical university community, it is just totally unbelievable mm -hmm. how many very well-educated and well-trained tech talents come out of there every, every year. You know, they are all nice and fair, but this, this is a, they have, I, I don't really know how many they have, but it's tens of thousands of students, mm -hmm. you know? So it's, it really, um, it, it, it really, uh, is a hotspot for for tech companies here, and if you do B two B software, mm -hmm. it's probably the space, the right. place to be. And you know, nowadays, now that Berlin is getting more expensive, the cost of living isn't such a big difference as I think as it yeah, used to the, be here. The, 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 uh, the delta of pain is maybe uh, <laughs> decreasing. Um, yeah, uh, it's certainly expensive here. Yeah. It's certainly expensive. Well, you get what you pay for. It's a pretty lovely city, that's yeah. for sure. <laughs> I want to ask you one more question. It's a little bit a little bit personal, but it's something that hits home closely for me too. And it's something you told me offline is that um, you know you're you're a family man, mm -hmm. and you've got <laughs> you got a handful of little ones at home. Um, I think you brought up this question earlier, and I wanted to circle back on it. It's what your professor said to you about when is the time to be a founder. And I think at that time, when you were a young guy coming out of uni, it was so, you know, maybe you get a little experience. How about, um, it, the reason I'm bringing this up actually is a friend sent me an article recently and there was a big research study done about successful entrepreneurs. And they've kind of pinpointed that around the age of 45 is where the highest probability of success for an entrepreneur is not this kind of preconceived notion of a, a 20 year old working in a basement hacking hacking away. You as a as a family man starting a business, um, do you see anything about your timing that you would like to share? Is that uh, was it harder to go down this path um, 
with a, with a family and kids or are you happy you're doing it at this time with your age and the wisdom and the things that come along with that? <laughs> it's a trade-off probably. <laughs> and, and <clears throat> so, yes, we, I mean, we do have four kids. They are all under the age of 10. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's busy times. Um, um, for you know, for me, it was very clear. Even when I decided to leave Intervals, my first company, that whatever I would do would be a preparation to get me to the point to start the next thing. That was very clear. So I had a, I had the luck to be in a position um, where I got a lot of input, where I met a lot of great people, um, investors included. Um, you know, our our initial investor here in Sierra is the Unternehmer to Venture Capital Fund. So the guys that I worked with for two years. It's, uh-huh. You know, looking back, it, it, uh, you, you may think this was planned. And uh, I mean, it's probably provoking your luck to a degree. Uh, long story short, um, to me, it was very clear I would want to do this. And if this is what you set your mind on, um, it will happen, right? Um, and um, it, so for me, and I would also recommend that to others, if you really want to do it, um, just get prepared and do it. Um, in, in Germany, particularly in a, in a job market like this, with a certain track record that you've uh, built up at, at a certain age, uh, I mean, how, wh- wh- where would you fall, right? What would happen? What is your worst case? Just, just think about what would be your worst case scenario. Um, and if you really think this through, and I discussed it with a lot of people um, that basically asked me the same question, um, there, is no, there is no real downside. Yeah. Right. It may take you up to three years to be back on track, mm-hmm. given that you will be working for 30 years. That's perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. Right? So there's no downside, but there's a lot of upside. Right. So it's economically speaking, even if you try to rationalize this, um, it, is, it makes total sense to do it. Mm-hmm. Right? So I would mm-hmm. always recommend to do that. Uh, commenting on the kids hacking away, <laughs> I, what I learned you know, working with uh, young people again for two years, um, I really think there is two ways of of starting a company or um, uh, uh, of discovering opportunity mm-hmm. because these young kids um, they they tend to be uh, just so naive sometimes in a very positive way they 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 have no reference they have no you know they they don't accept anything given mm-hmm. which is a big 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 opportunity and only they have it and they they are at the you know they 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 work with the cutting edge technologies and if they even learn it at school so they they are in a particular situation that someone like like me mm-hmm. I, I, I can't even be there right so they have a particular set outset well i have a particular outset mm-hmm. and it's it really depends on where you are and what you want to do but i gave an interview to um, to the vau um, to be published on the website and they titled it as um, the best time to start is always now mm-hmm. um, and I think that puts it very well. Yep, never too old, never too young, right? <laughs> I agree.
just because we're on the topic of, of young people founding and you've had an interesting journey. You've been a young founder and now you've been a, a more grown up founder, we'll say. Um, maybe you have some wisdom or some advice. If you hear you have a little forum to speak to some aspiring entrepreneurs, um, do you have any lessons, any particularly particular lessons you'd like to share with uh, up and coming founders, some things to keep in mind as they go on their journeys? I'm, I'm probably loading you with many, many thoughts. <laughs> it's exactly, just, exactly, just exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah, there's, uh, there's a lot of uh, things you could, you, could, you could answer, I could answer to that question. Um, I would, I would really start with what I've said already. Um, if you want to do it, do it. It's, and it's, I, I would say it's 80% of the answer. Um, obviously there's so many mistakes that you can do and usually you're, you will always know afterwards that it's the same with, for me, right? I do mistakes every day and I know afterwards. Um, I, I can avoid certain mistakes. So um, I, would, I would recommend um, just if you want to do it, do it. Number two, um, find people that are um, benevolent mentors, if mm -hmm. you will. Like not these, um, <laughs> these business mentors uh -huh. that kind of do it for a living, but rather experienced entrepreneurs that do it, again, they do it for um, helping you, mm -hmm. really. You know, their, their daily rate is thousands of euros and they would still spend a day with you just because they they want to make it happen with you. Mm -hmm. Those are the people, right? Try to find someone like this um, and stick to him or her. Um, that this is really, really helpful. Mm -hmm. um, you know, that's a great, a great point on mentorship. I have met very, very few successful entrepreneurs that can't pinpoint one or two people that just imparted wisdom on them when they needed it. Someone to pick up the phone and say, "I'm stuck." give me some yeah. advice that's not attached to my bottom line, you know? Right. I mean, and you built an incubator, I've built an accelerator. That's the premise that all the great kind of programs, at least around startups, are built around, is mm -hmm. surround yourself with smarter people. I think uh, a mentor of mine once said, if you're the smartest guy in the room, you're in the wrong damn room, you know? Right. The more you can find those people, the, the better off you are. Yeah. Martin, I've got two other questions. I ask all the founders on this podcast. I think they all think they suck, but <laughs> just to provide a little bit of insight into you. And since we're geographically dispersed, it's always interesting to hear. And since we have different age ranges and different experiences, just to get a little insight into Martin, the man. Um, First question is, is there a book on your bedside table? Is there something that you're reading or that you would like to recommend to read? I, I really have to admit, I'm not reading any book as such at all, um, but I'm reading kids' books every night, <laughs> every single, not every single, but every night I'm home. <laughs> um, so I've been uh, back to all these uh, famous Astrid Lindgren uh, kids' books um, and I've, I've, I've read them all uh, several times over the last couple of years. So I'm, 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 my wife, um, she, um, she made me a gift for Christmas. It's a Kindle. 
Uh-huh. Nice. So I have no excuses anymore to uh, to actually get back to serious reading. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, awesome. And then the the other question is, um, what's on your playlist? What is there anything that you recommend that you're listening to? I guess it's the same. The same. It's really the same. same. Yeah. <laughs> no, you know, starting uh, starting a business mm -hmm. in the first year, um, having kids at home. Basically, I, I do the kids, I do the business, or I sleep. That's mm -hmm. it. Uh, but I'm happy with it right. for now. <laughs> yeah, I've got some friends that said they haven't listened to music in years if it wasn't part of the Frozen soundtrack. You know, they can they could sing every word to Disney exactly. Disney movies. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I have it. I have the uh, as for the German listeners. I have the Pumuckel in my car up and <laughs> up over and over again. You know, but uh, yeah, it's not. You know, it wouldn't tell you anything about. Not really about what I'm interested in. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I was I had Spotify open the other day, and you know how you can see your contacts and and what they're listening to. And I see a lot of my friends that are you know building businesses, growing businesses themselves. And I see every time I see them on there, it's children's music. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I'm like, there's some interesting research in there. I think there's some insights you can get about you know when they're not playing with their kids they're obviously not listening to music or reading books they're busy building their business in the process yeah. but yeah there's no you know in a in a typical day and even a typical weekend there is there is not a single hour of let's say idle time <laughs> does exist right. not now well, Martin, Maybe in a couple of years. You, you look fresh you look pretty well rested so you <laughs> must be doing something right in the process <laughs> Martin thank you so much for uh, inviting me into your offices here, having this conversation and, and sharing your story with the, the Behavu community. It's an absolute pleasure. Sure. Thank you, Garrett. Thanks. Well, folks, that was Martin Heibel, co-founder and managing director of Ciara. Coming up in episode 14, we'll introduce Eric Schaefer, serial entrepreneur, investor, advisor, and alumnus of Vehau's inaugural class in 1984. We'll be learning about Eric's incredible founder journey that took him across the globe through a diverse range of industries and back to Vehau, where he's been a founding board member of the Inproxy Alumni Association, advisor to the Vehau Dean's Office, and so much more for over 20 years. This guy is an absolute legend in the Vehau community and one hell of an interesting storyteller. Bis nächstes Mal.